I would ask you to, if you're not standing, to please stand and grab your copy of God's Word as we turn to Psalm 119. For those of you who know, uh, Pastor Matt is with Gabby and their child and with the Lord at the hospital, and they're waiting it out, and we, we miss them, but praise God, we, we continue to praise the Lord. Uh, we've been continuing our, our study in Psalm 119 with Josh did a great job last week bringing it over here to the service and I'm privileged to be here today as we look at verses 97 to 104 and I guess it would help if I turn there too Psalm 119 verse 97 oh how I love your law it is my meditation all the day you, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you, shall, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for a Savior in Christ alone. Father, I ask that you would help me now. I ask that you would fill me with your spirit, that I may open my mouth as I ought. And I pray that by your spirit that you would open ears and open hearts to receive your word. Help us, Lord, to, to be more like you through all of this. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Of all the stanzas we've been through thus far, this 13th stanza screams, Who am I? With the psalmist referring to himself 19 times, and I, me, and, and my, verses 11 times, for the Lord, and you, your, or yourself. And as I was studying the scripture, it reminds me greatly of the game, Who Am I? Where you put an unknown name of a famous person on your forehead, and you, uh, you ask simple yes or no questions from your friends to see if they can guess the name correctly. You know, simple questions like, Do I love God's law? Am I wiser than my enemies? Do I have more understanding than all my teachers? Do I understand more than the ancients? Have I restrained my feet from every evil way? Have I departed from God's judgments? Are God's words sweet to my taste? Do I hate every false way? And as I look at this text, I ask, am I Martin Luther? I'm sure you know, but today is the day we celebrate ghouls and goblins and trips to the dentist. No, today is Reformation Day, a day that I can wear a t-shirt to church and it's okay. Uh, for on this day in the year 1517, the Protestant Reformation began in Wittenberg, Germany, when an Abraham monk named Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the church doors in Wittenberg. The motto of the Reformation was, after darkness, light. There was a rediscovery of God's word and its authority and most importantly, there was a rediscovery of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified, buried and risen from the dead. And our only hope 
as lost sinners is to repent from our own sin, to repent of our own self-righteousness and trust in Christ, who is the true and only head of the church, not the Pope. And looking at this 13th stanza and knowing what day it is, I couldn't help but to see glimpses of the reformer Martin Luther, a man that was greatly used by God to shake the world. And today I'd like to look at these eight verses in the light of Luther's life and see what he excelled at and maybe where he failed at. And Lord willing, we can apply these texts to our own lives. And I want to tell you from the onset, it's not exactly linear. There will be jumping around a little bit, but I pray that you're edified through it all. So let's look at verse 97. He says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Before the Lord got a hold of Luther, before a thunderstorm and a very close lightning bolt scared him into vowing to become a monk, Luther studied law. He studied to be a lawyer at the University of Erfurt, where he received his bachelorette in 1502 and his master's degree in 1505. At the age of 21, and with the mind of a lawyer, Luther, Luther became an Augustinian monk. Before his conversion, the very opposite was evident with Luther. Though he may have meditated on God's law, though he may have meditated on God's word, he didn't love it. It was said of him during times of confession, he would spend several hours confessing sin. He saw God's law with the scrutiny of a lawyer, and the law says, thou shalt not, and he saw his life that it did. He saw God's law that says, thou shalt, and he saw his life where he didn't. He saw the word of God and he saw that he was guilty. He saw that he was guilty, guilty, guilty. And it appears that his guilt initially led him to try harder. Luther said, if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. Dr. Arsene Sproul said of him, and I'll tell you that I got so many uh, resources from Ligonier Ministries. If if you're not plugged into Ligonier.org, Get on it. I mean, it's just plum full. And, and most of everything came from there. Most of my research. But R.C. Sproul said of him, If God is holy and man is sinful, what is there for man? And he said, This is the problem that Martin Luther res- wrestled with for years and which drove him to despair. It caused him to cry out at one time, Love God? Sometimes I hate Him. That's a shocking statement, but isn't that common against those who... See the righteous requirements of God's law apart from the grace of God? You're guilty. You try harder. You fail. You try harder. You can't please God. You try, but you can't ease the conviction of sin. You see, God is judge and His word is prosecuting attorney. For Luther, it wasn't until studying Romans to teach Romans 1. Don't miss that. That he came to verse 117 of Romans and, and read for it. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness, that, a righteousness that is by faith. Luther said later, I realized for the first time that my own justification depends not on my own righteousness, which will always fall short, but it rests solely and completely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which I must hold, to, hold on to by trusting faith. And isn't that the way it, it was for us? God's word convicted us of sin and drove us to Christ for forgiveness. And the law that we once hated, now we love since we are no longer under the condemnation of it. And I can say that to an extent with my life. Let's go on and look at verse 98. The psalmist says, You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. 
Colossians 1.13 says, He, the Lord, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Or if you will, after darkness, light. When the child of God is delivered from the darkness, no matter if it's the psalmist or Martin Luther or you or I, we should not be surprised to have enemies. Jesus said in John 15, 18 to 19, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world and the world, the world would love its own, yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Guys, in Luther's time, Pope Leo X referred to Martin Luther as a wild pig and a drunken German. I assure you, Luther had enemies. Luther was excommunicated by the Roman Catholic Church. He was also declared a heretic and called to recant his teachings. Luther declared at the Diet of Worms, Unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. Anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. An article I found states that Luther had been granted a letter of safe conduct, which guaranteed him 21 days of safe travel through the land. Now, don't forget, in his time, they burned heretics at the stake back then. And there was a preacher, Tetzel, the indulgent selling monk or preacher. He wanted to do that very thing to Luther. He wanted to kill him. After Luther, he left the Diet of Worms, the emperor imposed an imperial act that declared Luther an outlaw, that he may be legally killed by anyone. But on the trip home, a man by the name of Elector Frederick the Wise, or the Wise allowed Luther to be kidnapped. And Luther was aware of it. This took place on the one hand to guarantee his safety, and on the other hand to let him disappear. To disappear from the scene from a short while, there, there were even rumors of his death. And Luther was taken to the secluded town of Wartburg, and the Reformation had time to stabilize and strengthen itself. Luther's life was a great example of the, of the believer having enemies and his outsmarting them along the way. But verse 98 says, You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Beloved, this is a God-given wisdom that comes through God's words that we are to keep. So who are our enemies as believers? The three primary enemies for the believer are the world, the flesh, and the devil. How do we overcome them? By taking heed according to God's word. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 teaches us how to, to be strong in the Lord and how to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the vows of the devil. 1 John 2.15 instructs us not to love the world, speaking of the ways of the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Guys, how victorious would our own lives be if we went, when, if we went daily to battle with the Ten Commandments alone? When we're tempted to lust, we take out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and say, Thou shalt not covet. We're tempted to lust, say, Thou shalt not commit adultery. We're tempted to lie. We say, you know what? Thou shalt not bear witness against your neighbor. We're tempted to worship ourselves or false gods. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's the word of the living God. We could go on and on. 
Stay in the Word. Be wise. He has given us weapons. And we know the Scripture says the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in pulling down of strongholds. God has given us His Word. And if you're in Christ, you have enemies. Let's look at verses 99 and 100. He said, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. We've already seen that Luther was an accredited student with law with a master's degree. In the year 1505, he entered the, the monastery, monastery, and in 1506, he began to prepare for his ordination to the priesthood. In 1507, he began to study theology. By 1508, Luther had completed the requirements not only for the bachelorette in Bible, but also for the next higher theological degree, which would qualify him to teach. He received his doctorate in the fall of 1512 and assumed the professorship in biblical studies. And let me remind you, he was not yet converted. The same God who commands light to shine out of darkness had not yet shown in Luther's heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says. And we know that the 95 Theses were nailed to the church door in the fall of 1517, and most scholars agree that by the end of 1518 that his eyes were in fact opened. And Luther describes his conversion as he says, as, it was as if the very gates of heaven had opened before me. After reading Romans 1, 16 and 17, which we looked at briefly a while ago, but states, I, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Luther, having his eyes open after meditating on God's testimonies in God's word, his understanding was more than his teachers. Evidenced by his many debates. Like I said, go to Ligonier, look at the study of the life. They've, they've got so many resources. But by understanding God's word and keeping God's word, he surpassed the knowledge of even the ancients or the aged. And I remind you, beloved, just because it's old doesn't make it gold, right? Hey, I had someone one time tell me, he said, you know, well, paganism is older than Christianity. I'm like, and? It doesn't make it right. And that should be the reality for all believers, especially us who have the Bible. We have the word of God. We've been gifted so much. William Tyndale, who's the first to translate our English Bible from the Greek, once said, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than the Pope. And I say, amen. We must know that with the psalmist, there's no place for pride here. And there must not be pride with us either. And we know that knowledge puffs up. But to boast or to say that you have more understanding than your teachers and the elders of the land is okay when it happens due to our spending time in the word of the living God and being illuminated by the spirit of the living God and doing what it says. God gets all the glory. Listen to Luther's prayer the night before he stood before the authorities at the Diet of Worms. You tell me if you think he was prideful and self-confident. This is just a portion of the prayer that he recorded he says, O oh God, Almighty God, everlasting, how dreadful is the world. 
Behold how its mouth opens to swallow me up, and how small is my faith in thee. Oh, the weakness of the flesh and the power of Satan. If I am to depend upon any strength in this world, all is over. The knell is struck. Sentence has gone forth. Oh God, oh God, oh thou my God, help me against all the wisdom of this world. Do this, I beseech thee. Thou shouldest do this by thine own mighty power. For the work is not mine, but thine. I have no business here. I have nothing to contend for with these great men of the world. I would gladly pass my days in happiness and peace, but the cause is yours. And it is righteous and everlasting. O oh, Lord, help me. O oh, faithful and unchangeable God. And he goes on and he goes on. There's no pride for him. There's no room for pride for us. And I remind you that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's go on to verse 101. He states, the psalmist states, I have restrained my feet from every way that I may keep your word. At the end of the year 1510 and early 1511, Martin Luther was assigned to represent the German Augustinian monasteries in Rome. This was many years before his conversion, but this trip to the heart of Western Christendom left a profoundly negative impression on Luther. Why? Because in Rome, he witnessed other priests who walked in evil ways with no restraint. An article I found states that the city which he graded as holy, that'd be Rome, was a sink of iniquity. Its very priests were openly infidel and scoffed at the services they performed. The papal courtiers were men of the most shameless lives. He was accustomed, this Luther was accustomed to repeat the Italian proverb, if there is a hell, Rome is built over it. Beloved, the child of God must walk differently from the world. Proverbs 4, 26 and 7 says, Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your feet from evil. Ephesians 4, 17 to 19 says, Paul the Apostle says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Luther saw it being played out, and he saw in the word of God that it ought not be. What about us? Do we celebrate our own sin or the sin of others and praise God for his grace? God forbid. In this cancel culture world that we live in, let us be those who cancel sin. Sin in our own lives and walk in holiness. We should be constantly restraining our feet from every evil way that we may keep God's word. The psalmist goes on in verse 102. He says, I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. In humility, the psalmist gives God the credit for teaching him to stay on the right path, to continue walking in obedience to the word of God. So how was this played out in Martin Luther's life? Many ways, but one way, we know that the Catholic Church has and had departed from God's word in the celibacy of clergy. Mike Gendron points out in chapter 12 of his book, Preparing for Eternity, 
This chapter is called Catholicism Traditions versus God's Word. In paragraph 1579 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it states, and I quote, All ordained ministers intend to remain celibate for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Versus, what does the Word of God say? In 1 Corinthians 9, 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? And I'm reminded of 1 Timothy 4, 1-3a. It says now, and the Spirit expressly says, that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to what? To marry. Forbidding to marry. Not so with Luther. In 1525, he married Katharina von Bora, a former nun. And Michael Haken, a professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, said, Our memory of what took place during the 16th century Reformation has been somewhat selective. As heirs of Reformed Protestantism, we have remembered it chiefly as a recovery of the gospel and the biblical way of worship, but we also need to recall it as a great recovery of the biblical understanding of marriage. He later goes on to say that Luther acted as a sort of marriage broker seeking to find husbands for the nuns. Isn't that great? Uh, In verse 103, the psalmist states, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now let's not forget that this Psalm 119 is in fact a psalm to be sung, isn't it? If the word of God is sweet to the taste... And sweeter than honey to the mouth, what better way than to express the Word of God by singing the Word of God? One of the things that I appreciate about watching someone praise the Lord is when they do it with a smile, when they do it with gladness. Can you imagine the difference it would be if the singer sang as if the Word was bitterness to their taste and sour to their mouth? hope you're not saying, well, I kind of saw you. That's a whole other story. One thing about Martin Luther that can be overlooked is his impact on congregational singing in the church. And even his inspiration of the great work of Johann Sebastian Bach. Bach often used Martin Luther's themes in his music. And he liked Luther's skillful setting of text to tunes and his focus on the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther composed at least 36 hymns with his most famous work, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, that we're going to sing at the end of the service today. It's a song based off of Psalm 46 and is often referred to as the battle hymn of the Reformation. Can can you imagine going to church and the worship being in a foreign uh, language? This is the way it was pre-Reformation along with no congregational singing. Many of the Germans in in Luther's area, they didn't speak Latin, but if they were going to go to church, it was in Latin. So you just stand up, kind of nod your head. this This is fun. There was no edification. A very basic glimpse of the Psalms instructs us for congregational worship, does it not? Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Luther saw the clear teaching of the Word of God, and he sought to put it to practice in the language of the people. 
Luther is quoted to say, next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man that he should proclaim the word of God through music. If you ever wonder why our pastor is so uh, selective of, of, of our music, there's a reason. And everyone who serves in the music, the, the songs that they pick, we want to keep them very close to this because it's a way of edifying the people of God. It's a way of teaching the people of God in their own language. And for years upon years upon years before Luther, that wasn't happening. What did the text say? How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Let's go on and look at the last verse of this stanza. Verse 104. It says, through your precepts, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Martin Luther did not set out to start the Protestant Reformation. He, through the God-given understanding of the Word of God, hated what he saw in the Catholic Church. The 95 Thesis, or the disputation on the power and efficacy of indulgences, that he nailed to the Catholic Church's door on October 31st, 1517, were propositions for debate. He wanted to have a debate. He said, let's get these things right. He said, I see things that are wrong. Let's make it right. He hated the false ways that he witnessed, and he wanted change. The practice of selling indulgences was basically a way that the Catholic Church falsely tried to sell salvation. God forbid. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being here and our pastor or anybody else saying, hey, you need to give in order that you might be forgiven. Let's, let's make some money. That's what it was about. God forbid. God forbid. The preacher, Johann Tetzel, was known for his saying, as soon as a coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. If you know anything about the Word of God, the Word of God says nothing of purgatory. The Bible says that after, after death, after it is, is appointing for man, wants to die, and then the judgment. There is no purgatory. There is no second chance, guys. And you can't buy it out, buy somebody out of purgatory. You can't purchase somebody out of hell. Martin Luther saw it, said it's wrong, and he wanted to do something about it. We are Protestants here. This is Flatland Bible Church, and we hold, to, hold fast to the Word of God because in it is the truth that declares Christ alone. Christ suffered and died on the cross to save sinners, not to be purchased with money. It's so, it's so, it was so far from the truth. A far cry from anything that we find in Scripture. The biblical understanding of how a sinful person can be made right in the sight of a holy God is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. The five solas of the Reformation. I hope that you are accustomed to it. I hope it's not something that's, that's foreign to you, but this is all something that comes from the Word of God. So, what's the question? Who am I? Is the psalmist Martin Luther? No. We don't know who the psalmist is. Josh and I were told early along in the study, Pastor Matt said, we're not going to try to figure out who it is. That's going to be pointless. 
We have some disagreements on who it is, but it doesn't matter. But listen, Psalm 119, it should describe all believers throughout all the ages. Should it not? What about you? Can you look at this? Do you love God's law? Is it your meditation all the day? Do you, through your commandments, are you wiser than your enemies? Do you have more understanding than all your teachers? For, for God's testimonies are your meditation. Is this you? Do you understand more than the ancients, the philosophies, the wisdom of this world? Do you understand more when people try to tell us today there's more than two genders? Do you say no, not because I can see, but because of the word of God? When marriage is to be between one man and one woman, do you have more understanding than the ancients, the, the ones, the teachers who want to deny all that? If we stay to the word of God, we will. Have you restrained your feet from every way that you may keep God's word? Do you depart from God's judgments? Are you taught by God? Can you say your words are sweet to my taste, sweeter than money to my mouth? Do you, through God's precepts, get understanding and therefore hate every false way? Is this you? Are you here today? Have you been brought out of darkness and into the light? You either have or you haven't. The Reformation after darkness, light. You're either today, you're either in the darkness or you're in the light. And Ephesians has a, has a frightful saying. He, the Apostle Paul says, you were darkness. He didn't say you weren't in darkness. He says you were darkness. It's frightening. And you are today, you are either darkness or you're in the light. And the light is Christ Jesus. Beloved, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God demonstrated his own love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ spread his arms on the cross and he gave his life as a ransom for many. He lived a perfect life apart from sin. He obeyed God's law completely. The law that we break, the sin that we commit. Christ died that we may be forgiven. Are you trusting in him today? Trust in him today, your only hope for salvation. I beg of you to repent. Repent of your own self-righteousness. There's so many people I talk to today that, that they think that it's just going to be okay when they go to stand before the Lord because they're an all right guy. They're pretty good, pretty good person. I try to treat people right. That's not good enough. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other. There is no other. Repent, believe. In Christ Jesus, let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for Christ Jesus, our only hope for salvation. Thank you that we have a church here that proclaims it. And thank you that we're not the only one, God. There are many churches today that are in the light. And we thank you, Father God. We pray for continued reform for us that we might be more godly, that we might be more Christ-like, that we might hold to your word even more. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, oh God, open their eyes. Open their eyes. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. I ask you to, to stand. And uh, we're going to sing this mighty... Reformation song.